You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your hosts, Chris Jennings and Dr. Mike Brazier. Today I've got my co-host, Dr. Mike Brazier here with me. Hey Mike, how are you? I'm doing well, Chris. How are you? I am doing well, doing well. A little bit concerned, you know, the topic of conversation around the office and even uh, with some other people that I've had on the podcast has been a little bit of concern regarding Canadian waterfowl hunting and whether or not U.S. hunters are going to be able to cross the border into Canada. And you and I kind of have had these conversations where, you know, what are the impacts of that? And, and, you know, all across the board, we're kind of just throwing this out there hypothetically right now. We're in mid-July, so we don't really know what's going on. But you have reached out to someone at the Canadian Wildlife Service, one of your contacts, and you kind of pulled a little bit of information. Can you share with our listeners what you have found from your contacts in Canada? Sure. I guess what's, what kind of stimulated me to kind of to look into that a little bit was an email that that I received from one of our science staff uh, colleagues uh, here in, in the States. And they had received a similar message what, to what you had just kind of described. Someone was asking about, hey, if U.S. hunters aren't allowed to go into Canada this year because of COVID-related travel restrictions, is that likely to kind of have any sort of influence on the number of birds that we would actually see coming south? Could it be a good thing for us because those birds aren't going to be shot in Canada? And so that kind of got people to thinking, and really quickly, we can just kind of walk through that idea. Um, if if 
U.S. hunters, non-resident hunters, do not go into Canada in the numbers that they normally do. Is that going to translate into any noticeable increase in the number of birds coming south and I think um, coming into the states? And I think the easy answer to that question is not really. It's highly unlikely that uh, that due to a – again, hypothetically speaking at this stage, if, if there were no – U.S. residents or non-residents in general going into Canada to waterfowl hunt, it's very unlikely that there would be any kind of perceptible difference in the number of birds that you would see on the U.S. side of the border that you could definitively link back to that um, to that thing. And and a couple of things that we have to look at when we kind of walk through that thought process is, well. How many non-resident hunters are there even in Canada on an annual basis? And we'll just kind of make the assumption that the overwhelming majority of, the, of those are going to be American. I actually looked into some of the data on this. Canada does keep track of uh, the residency status of, of their hunters, obviously by the purchase of resident versus mm-hmm. non-resident license. They can get that data. And on average over the last 20 years, let's see, what are the numbers here? There are about – 20,000 non-resident waterfowl hunters in all of Canada. That represents only about 15% of the total number of waterfowl hunters in Canada. So, um, so it's a very small percentage of the, of the total waterfowl uh, hunter population uh, in, in Canada. Now, in terms of harvest, so we, if we think, all right, well, so those, those 15% are not going to be going into Canada to hunt this year. What does that mean, hypothetically, all things kind of averaging out, being equal, uh, in terms of a reduction in the in amount of harvest? We can look at this for duck harvest and, and uh, goose harvest because, again, Canadian Wildlife Service keeps track of that data through their harvest estimation process. And on an annual basis – Non-resident hunters, on average, account for about 30% of the ducks and 30% of the geese that are harvested in Canada. This is Canada-wide. The majority of that harvest, I'm told, occurs in the prairie provinces. I don't have Mm -hmm. the actual percentages broken out. but So that 30% accounts for for ducks, about 300,000 harvested ducks. So non-residents – majority of which are going to be Americans account for only about a harvest of 300,000, um, 330,000 ducks on average. And then on the goose side of things, uh, it's, it's also about 300,000 on average geese harvested by non-residents, uh, Canada wide every year. So that's not a very noticeable number. It's not a very large number in terms of what's harvested there by non-residents. So there's not going to be, it's, it's in, it's impossible to say that any increase in the number of birds that you would have seen on the state side of the border uh, would have been related to that reduction of harvest of you know 300,000 ducks and 300,000 geese. The effect of annual recruitment, annual I should say annual productivity, is going to dwarf the influence of that level of harvest uh, reduction. You know, and so uh, the other thing, so the simple answer to that is, you know, if you look at absolute numbers, yeah, there might be fewer probably will be fewer ducks and geese harvested in Canada this year, but you're not going to notice that over your decoys. Uh, yeah. the, the differences that you might see, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be much better, much better off kind of linking that to habitat changes and, and wetland conditions, things of that nature. And so, um, so that's the short answer on that one. You're not likely to see that influence. 
So if I take this as the uh, e- eternal optimist duck hunter, <laughs> there may actually be a larger number of birds. But what you're saying is scientifically by the numbers, which is you know ag- exactly how we have to approach this, is you're not going to be able to notice. You know, you're not going to see you know a significant difference in overall numbers over your decoys just because people are not hunting in Canada. Right, right. Because there's a couple of things there. I would I would say this is more an issue, less an issue of kind of science at this stage than it is. Like scientifically, we could, if we had good population estimation, you know, that time of the year over time, yeah, you could actually parse out and say, all right, well, proportionally, maybe there are more birds coming south this year, yada, yada. But but what we're talking about, people are asking the question, am I likely to notice that difference? And that's where, that's where sort of the non-scientific aspect of this comes in because it's all about people's perception and what they perceive occurs at their blind, at their hunting location. That's a very small, even smaller than a postage stamp kind of representation of what this entire waterfowl landscape uh, in, encompasses. So any any increase in the number of birds you may very well see and people it happens every year one year a person at one blind will see more ducks than they did the previous year or less ducks or whatever the case may be but uh, but what we're what we're saying here is that if you see an increase over your 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 decoys and your hunting locations this year on the US side of the border it's not going to be caused by a reduction in, in potential reduction in harvest uh, of ducks in in Canada as a result of potential reduced travel, uh, you know, travel restrictions in in Canada. So um, there's a couple of other things to mention here, and one is that I did reach out to a Canadian Wildlife Service colleague, Frank Baldwin, to kind of ask him about an update on on what they're what they're hearing with respect to prospects for non-residents to come into Canada to hunt this year. And, you know, this is kind of informally from from Frank. He says at this time, he says, says there's no plan by the Canadian. This was like last week. So kind of have to, and we're recording this on July 14th or 15th. And so just kind of keep this in mind to date this information. He said at that time, there was no expectation, no plans by the Canadian Wildlife Service to restrict the purchase of hunting licenses by non-residents. He said any restrictions on non-residents, Americans coming into uh, into Canada would be dictated by travel restrictions uh, that are implemented at levels higher in the government. That would be kind of overarching uh, national level guidance. That and those are in place right now. You and I just kind of looked those up before we started this conversation. I think the current re- restrictions pro- are in effect until July twentieth, and uh, for at least entry into Canada by people from the U.S. and there are only a small number of uh, small number of categories of people and reasons for which American citizens are allowed into Canada at this time. And then there's even like a 14-day quarantine for those individuals. Uh, and, and waterfowl hunting, any kind of recreational pursuit of that type, uh, I do not think falls under any of those exempt categories at this time. So, so July 20th is a critical date as of 
right now when we're recording this. And then he said they're just kind of extending this thing on a rolling basis and they will assess the situation. And so it's it's too early at this point to make any kind of claim about what the uh, what will or will not be allowed with respect to um, U.S. hunters traveling into Canada uh, to hunt this fall. So we just we just don't don't know. And and Frank was also the one that put me onto this data so we could kind of look at the numbers and see, well, all right, hypothetically, if if American hunters aren't allowed in, then what kind of effect would that have on potential, you know, reducing the number of birds shot in Canada? But the other thing, the other thing, Chris, that has come up in this is you, you mentioned, I think a minute ago, the optimist view of this is that there might actually be more birds coming south this year. But the thing we have to remember is if we're talking about the prairies, productivity was probably best. You know, pro- when we measure productivity on like how many birds an individual produced, productivity was probably uh, best in the U.S. prairies because of the abundant water that we had in North Dakota and South Dakota had good population numbers, at least in North Dakota that we were aware of based on a conversation with Mike Zemanski. So there's, it's very possible that people in those states, Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, could see a uh, an increase in the number of birds over their decoys. But if that happens, I would chalk that up to greater productivity from those, from those states uh, as opposed to anything kind of happening north of the border with with respect to restricted uh, or reduced hunting from non-residents. So another thing to kind of think about there. Absolutely. I mean, that, you know, the episode that we did or you did with Mike Szymanski was a great indicator of uh, the positive production um, in, in North Dakota. And, you know, we've had John Pullman on who's discussed South Dakota and South Dakota was looking very good from his perspective and, and some of the uh, game and fish contacts that he had were providing some really positive information out of the Dakotas. So um, that could be the case. But, you know, just, you know, throwing it back into that hypothetical. And, uh, you know, one of the questions that I've had sitting around summertime, we're bored, it's hot, we're talking ducks. And, you know, one a guy was talking to me about this. And he said, you know, one of the interesting things that he is thinking about is if there are no if if there's not a large majority of U.S. hunters kind of running around the prairies in Canada, it's going to take a lot of pressure off of those ducks as far as hunting pressure. So now these guys are, you know, this is the ultimate, you know, hypothetical that these guys are like, well, you know, there really could be a delay in migration. Yeah. What 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 are you? What would you say to that when you know these people are talking about overall hunting pressure, um, food availability? You know, you don't have hunters and you know fields across. Uh, certain parts of Saskatchewan, there's going to be better food availability. And and then I try and remind them of the vast number and sheer number of, of waterfowl. But what what would you say to hunters who are sitting around and kind of speculating at, at something like that? I would I would probably say when you consider that on, on again on average here the number of non-resident hunters in Canada every year is only twenty thousand and that's spread across that entire enormous landscape well not entire enormous landscape we're talking about the prairies southern prairies we're also talking about Ontario there is a large number of waterfowl hunters in in Ontario both resident and non-resident so not all of those twenty thousand non-residents are going to be coming into the prairies you know if we want to kind of think about that as the the big production area. Um, that's the first thing to remember. The other is, uh, and I guess the point there is those 20,000 non-resident hunters are not going to be able to have, not going to be able to cover all that 
all that ground up there. And the other thing I would say is anyone who really thinks that there's going to be the, the reduction in number of waterfowl hunters in Canada is actually going to be have an effect on reducing pressure to the extent the bird, that the birds are going to notice and then respond to that. Have probably not spent much time on that landscape <laughs> because of how massive yeah. it is and how much how much food there is on the landscape for them. Those birds don't have any problem uh, escaping yeah. pressure. It is a, a just a phenomenally huge landscape. Uh, now there are some areas where uh, where birds do get pressured uh, a fair bit, and maybe maybe through some of the guide services more than anyone else. Uh, but and obviously that will um, those will be th- those businesses there will be impacted by these travel restrictions if they continue into the fall. Again, big caveat there. Um, so, I, is it possible? I suppose, but. If we get a strong cold front, that's going to eliminate any effect of reduced hunting pressure would would ever have on those birds. I don't think pressure is is what forces those birds to move around on those prairies. It's going to be food and availability of food, and it's going to be the cold weather that's pushing them through and pushing them out of that area, making that basically making that food unavailable, mm-hmm. um, or increasing the risk that it's going to become unavailable when everything freezes up. And, uh, and yeah, so I wouldn't expect that. Yeah. And now, you know, on the flip side of that, uh, you know, I've had that same conversation with that same hunter who then said, well, we've canceled our, our Canada trip and we're going to North Dakota because we can't cross the border. And, you know, and his question there was, you know, are we going to be looking at a significant increase in non-resident hunters or or U.S. hunters, I should say, going to the Dakotas rather than Canada. And that's going to put an increased amount of pressure, hunting pressure on those areas, which is not near as vast as, you know, what we're kind of discussing as far as, you know, the Canadian prairies. But, you know, if, if North Dakota sees this big jump, you know, that pressure there could potentially have an impact on, on some migration at some point. Um, and I, you know, again, it's, it's all hypothetical, but, you know, an increase in hunting pressure in the Dakotas is a lot more significant than an increase in hunting pressure in Prairie Canada, you know, just because of the, the number. Chris, I would say that's exactly right. There's, I think there's a far greater chance that there will be, that more hunting pressure in the Dakotas will cause, um, a let's just say an earlier movement of birds out of those states than uh, than a reduction in hunting mm-hmm. in Canada would lead to a delay in migration out of that country if that if that kind of makes sense so it actually could be as, as someone was kind of uh, postulating this original question that arrived in my uh, inbox about hey due to the lack of hunting non-resident hunting in Canada can we expect to see maybe more birds south of the border here and um depending on where you are if you're hunting at, at a northern latitude um and if those northern latitudes actually experience some of this uh, or become the destinations for the hunters that would ordinarily be going to canada then you know if those let's just say it's ten thousand hunters ordinarily that would be going to canada and into the prairies let's say if they go into north dakota south dakota and i don't know how all their non-resident hunting licenses sales operate in those states but into those but if they all go into those northern states then you could actually see that pressure 
have an influence on an earlier movement of birds out of Mm -hmm. those states. Again, hypothetically speaking, not saying this is going to happen. These are all just kind of wildly speculative um, conversations here. But just just trying to say that, hey, this this thing could go multiple directions. That's one of the reasons why waterfowl are so such a fascinating group of birds. We interact with them so intimately when we're out hunting them and we have an influence on what it is that they do as this very conversation illustrates and it is so difficult to disentangle all of these things because they operate at different scales they operate at different intensities uh you know if you take ten thousand hunters and put them on the canadian landscape canadian prairies that's probably not very perceptible to birds at a large scale yeah local scale sure those birds notice it but they're just going to go a mile over and find another grain field. Uh, but if you put those 10,000 hunters into the Dakotas and the Minnesota with where there are however many uh, other tens of thousands of hunters, then yeah, you might begin to see some incre- noticeable increase in pressure that the birds might be responding to. But again, highly speculative and just kind of fun to talk about. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're We're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. You know, we're seeing a... a a massive increase um, in multiple states, really all across the country, in the sale of fishing licenses. And some states are seeing, you know, this yep. exponential number of growth because people are getting outdoors. People don't have some of the same things that they always d- have done in the past or in the summer. But, you know, we're kind of looking at this as, are we going to see this this outdoor movement, you know, which do use a part of the, you know, responsible recreation uh, movement that, are we going to see this translate into additional duck hunters in the fall? Which we, we, we could. That's an outstanding point. And that was a question that was posed to me, but actually in the opposite context uh, on a, some interview I had a couple of weeks ago, someone was asking if they thought that the coronavirus would impair waterfowl hunting, would kind of reduce 
people's willingness to get out and be in blinds with other people. And I said, well, I, quite the contrary. I think if if travel restrictions are still in place come September, October, November, December, I would actually predict that it will increase the number of people that are getting out to do some form of hunting. And I think waterfowl hunting will be in that category. Uh, And so you could actually see and would expect to see, as we have seen for uh, fishing license, an increase in the number of waterfowl hunters uh, this year. And one of the things that has occurred to me, though, though, Chris, is whether that increase in waterfowl hunters or any other kind of hunter would be completely new hunters or if they would be people that had gotten had been out of hunting for a number of years and decided to, to kind of go back into it because who knows what college football is going to look mm-hmm. like right now we know so that's a huge saturday event that occup, ordinarily occupies the time of so many people uh it's unlikely that people are going to be in the fans watching those games across uh, most locations um so just kind of think about all of those things, reduce number of sporting events at all levels. And people are going to have time that they ordinarily would be devoting to those, those sporting events. And um, so what I do wonder is if they will be completely new hunters or if they will be um, sort of a rejuvenation of hunters that had let their um, uh, their participation lapse over the past few years. One of the things that I'm not sure about is what's happening with any kind of hunter education courses mm-hmm. right now. You know, if there's a new hunter, uh, someone who has never hunted before, but they want to try it this year, uh, and this, I think it's going to vary by state. I don't, I don't know what the status of any of those hunter education courses are at this at this moment, and if those. Um, if those new hunters would even have an opportunity because of that. Have you heard anything of that nature? Um, I actually have. I've seen a couple things that some states have uh, offered a completely online version where some, you know, like you said, every state's a little bit different. Every hunter education course has its own little sets and rules, stipulations as far as, you know, an in-person or online or, you know, some of them like even Tennessee has like a field day and I'll have to look into Tennessee. I haven't seen what what Mm -hmm. they're doing, but I've seen some states have switched to an entirely online option for hunter education during the pandemic, which is, you know, probably, uh, you know, leads that that probably came from not only not wanting people to sit around in classroom, but also, you know, the instructors and things like that. So, um, so they did switch to an all online. So I know that there, there is some opportunity for that. Um, and, and we'll have to, I'll have to look into that a little more. That may be something that we can, we can bring someone else on to, to talk about the hunter education changes and as part of this whole, um, you know, new way that we approach things. But yeah, the, you know, the number of hunters increases. And, and one thing that I've thought about, uh, not only the number of, of hunters increasing, uh, potentially, but also the number of days in the field. For people who would normally hunt 20 days, well, now they're going to hunt 30 days or, you know, maybe double the days of of how much they're – and granted, we don't necessarily look at that from a scientific perspective on harvest overall. Um, But, you know, one thing to think about, I was talking to one of my counterparts over at the National Wild Turkey Federation, and they were mentioning that – some states in the spring, when we kind of went into this lockdown and, and license sales were skyrocketing, um, some states saw record numbers of turkeys being harvested. Mm-hmm. Um, and this potential or this 
this person is from Virginia. And he was like, Virginia had, you know, a record number of, of turkeys harvested in some states and some biologists from NWTF were kind of looking at this like, man, this may not be, a, you know, it's good to have more hunters and more days in the field. But as far as turkeys go, you know, th- they took it on the chin during, right. you know, the early times of the pandemic. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious if, if any waterfowl managers would look at this, you know, if there is all of a sudden a substantial jump in numbers of hunters and days in the field, um, you know, is that anything to even contemplate as far as overall, um, you know, numbers of, of waterfowl? You know, is it, could it be detrimental or do we even count that harvest is even part of, you know, that scientific equation? I think it's a fantastic, potentially, again, we're, we're in January or July and we're speculating about what may happen five, six months from now. But I think it's a potentially fantastic learning opportunity. And so, Yes, we do have ways to get the data that you're talking about, get the numbers that you are talking about, the hunter days of field. That information is mm-hmm. collected through our hunter surveys. We've had uh, Kathy Fleming and Paul Padding on a few episodes, and they talked in detail about the surveys that it all starts with your harvest information program certification, your HIP certification. It's very important that people mm-hmm. do that uh, HIP certification. That then enables you to be, to participate in one or both of these surveys that are used to estimate harvest statistics, uh, those two surveys being the parts collection survey and the hunter diary survey, each kind of collecting different pieces of information. But yes, they we will have that information on number of days of field, number of days hunted, both for goose hunting as well as uh, duck hunting. Uh, we will have that um, by state. We will have that you know by flyway. And we will also have harvest of, of waterfowl by species. And I saw some of those messages earlier in the spring about people being concerned of potentially you know, higher than desirable uh, turkey harvest. Yeah. From a waterfowl perspective, we're not really concerned about that. We, uh, we don't see very much change in harvest rates, at least for the, the birds for which we have really good harvest statistics, uh, harvest rates data we don't see very large changes from year to year it's really difficult for adult male mallards let's say it's really difficult for us to push that harvest rate above 12 13 percent this will be interesting if we have a large larger number of hunters a larger number of hunter days of field can we push that harvest rate higher or or, or is there something else going on there where the birds – where we shoot the birds that we can shoot and that amounts to only about 12 percent of the population every given year and then the other um, – 88% of those adult male mallards have kind of figured out a way to evade the the gun. I, I don't know. This is – that harvest dynamics and population ecology is not my, my strong suit, and I know we want to get some people on to talk about that. And this probably gives us a good reason to, to do that. But that's just kind of me off the cuff thinking that through and, and what, um, what we might see. So the bottom line is no. I don't think any of us are concerned about – uh, overharvest of waterfowl populations. They they operate at much larger scales. Uh, they're able. They're much more mobile. They're able to move around and escape pressure. Anyway, I wouldn't be too concerned about that. But it is a, a, a very interesting time. It'll be be intriguing to see what what plays out. Should 
should these travel restrictions stay in place? Yeah, no, I mean, this is all great conversation, um, especially for this time of year when we start looking. And the reality is, you know, we're talking about this in mid-July, but we're really not too far away from that Canadian duck season opening. Um, you know, they're usually pretty early in September, um, across most of those provinces. And that's, that's Mm -hmm. a month and a half, you know, we're, we're not too far. Now it's, it's a long way for us when we start thinking about duck season down here in the, in the mid South, you know, we're not kicking off until late November, but we're talking, you know, just a month and a half away. And so it's going to be very interesting for people to have to keep their eye on tourism restrictions from the Canadian government. Um, you know, anything, you know, all of those restrictions that people are going to have to pay attention to. Um, but, you know, hopefully, you know, everything will be cleared up and, and the border will be open and people can take their annual trip up to the Canadian prairies and, and um, you know, and everyone will be happy. So this is this has been a great conversation. I appreciate it, Mike. It really kind of brought to light um, some of these topics that that random people are asking about. Well, yeah, I think it's kind of fun to do some of this wild speculation on occasion. We don't have a very uh, – we, we try not to do mm-hmm. that too often. You know, we try to sort of stick with, with what we know based on, you know, scientific findings and say definitively, definitively one way or another what we can expect. But this is an unusual circumstance, and we've gotten some of these user question or listener questions and supporter questions and just – you know, wanted to wanted to chit chat about it a little bit and do some speculating here and there, and um, so we're not saying anything is definite, but it's kind of fun to walk through some of the possibilities. Absolutely, absolutely. I'd like to thank my co-host, Dr. Mike Brazier, for bringing some great speculation and, and really actually bringing some uh, some scientific perspective to what waterfowl hunters are doing this time of year, where we're all sitting around speculating and kind of doing some guesswork. I'd like to thank our producer, Clay Baird, for putting the podcast together and doing a great job with it. And I'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us on the DU Podcast and for supporting wetlands conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. 
visit campuswaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation, united by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation, take it outside.